On this episode of the Unsettled Hunter podcast, I speak with Heather Campbell, who is a visual artist who hails from Rigolet Nazi Group. Topics of our discussion include her non-artistic work, her conceptual approach to art making, the material aspects of her work, and stories about growing up with her grandparents in Rigolet. If you are interested in seeing some examples of Heather's work, please check out her website, campbellart.ca. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy the episode. So, would you uh, like to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, my name is Heather Campbell, and I'm an Inuit artist originally from uh, Rigolet Nunatsiavut, but I've been living here in Ottawa for almost 21 years now. Wow. What, uh, <laughs> what, if I may ask, uh, what prompted the move? Was it for personal or professional reasons? Um, well, I went to university, uh, in Memorial University, but the, the uh, Cornerbrook campus. So I studied uh, visual art. And when I went back to my hometown, of course, there was basically no, no work. So one of the guys that I graduated art school with was going to Carleton. So I ended up staying with him for a while until I got on my on my feet. So I was looking for work. Hmm. So did you uh, did you find work in Ottawa? <laughs> yeah. More, and one of the reasons why I came to Ottawa is because we have a large uh, Inuit community here. So some of our national um, organizations are based here. So I actually got a summer job at Inuit Tapiri Kanatani, and I also got a second summer job at the Canadian Museum of Civilization. So I was actually um, helping to explain the, the Inuit exhibitions in the museum. And I was doing like some carving demonstrations and Inuit games and stuff like that. So it was a lot of fun. Hmm, interesting. Uh, did did you do that job for? Was that just kind of a a stopgap job? Were you in, always intending when you moved to Ottawa? Always intending to pursue uh, your artistic practice as a full time job or or not job but effort? Exactly. I think I had, I had a very naive view of how my career could go. You know, <laughs> so I was just sort of like I need something to pay my bills so that I make art. But then I ended up kind of doing this and that, but. I was actually at uh, Indian Affairs for five years. So I was started out just as kind of data entry, but I ended up doing curatorial work. And then after that, I was at ITK as a language and culture program coordinator. So it's been an interesting and very varied um, experience that I've had with, with job opportunities here in Ottawa, like outside of my art career. Uh, would, um, would you... Would you say that the, those experiences have helped in your with your artistic practice, in terms of? Uh, well, I can I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, um, in a way, I mean, when I was at Indian Affairs, I was exposed to so many other Inuit artists as well as First Nations and Métis artists, and I think that kind of opened my eyes to probably more um, conceptual art, but then it hindered me in a way because I didn't feel that it was, um, uh, I didn't think I would be able to take advantage of opportunities that came across my desk because of my position there. So I think for about 
those five years, I didn't really make a lot of art because, you know, just conflicts of interest kind of concerns and things like that. Mm. So when I moved over, when I moved over to ITK, I felt like I had more freedom to try to take advantage of opportunities that that came along because I was no longer working for Inuit artists anymore. Ah, I see. What what was the jobs? Because you said it was a like cur- curatorial work. What was the job specifically? Uh, at, technically, uh, a curatorial assistant. Hmm. But I ended up doing the work of of a curator. It's just kind of how the government uh, hierarchy worked out. In terms of yeah. was it uh, like curating government sponsored exhibitions or government collections or what? Uh... The Indian and Inuit Art Centers, they have a gallery at uh, okay. uh, Penn Wellington in Gatineau, but they also have a, a large collection that they use. They can loan it out to other institutions, but they also use it um, to to hang in offices, uh, INAC offices all across Canada. But they also had a traveling exhibition at that time. It was um, Transitions 2 that had First Nations, Inuit, and Métis uh, contemporary art that they were traveling, you know, all over the world basically. So I was really lucky. I got to go to Mexico. I got to go to Russia with that exhibition. So that <laughs> was amazing. <laughs> so I was in um, St. Petersburg, but we also went to um, to Siberia. So I was on a boat trip. Um, oh wow! Up the Ob River, I think, in Siberia. It was pretty incredible. <laughs> So yeah, I've gotten a lot of opportunities to kind of see the world, and we also got to meet a lot of Siberian Inuit artists and to, to be exposed to their culture and what they do. So it's been pretty amazing. Wow, that's that is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I know a lot of people expect and say that they, you know, took a well, I can't remember like seven or ten day trip to Siberia, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty neat. So now, would you, uh, are you doing your uh, art, or are you trying to do your artistic work as a full-time endeavor? Because uh, I was going through your, your website, and it looks quite developed. Yeah, like, um, since I left ITK, I haven't had, like, a, a permanent full-time job. So I've been doing contracts here and there, and then I've been unemployed, like, in between those times. So it's, it's good in a way because I get a chance to actually work on my art much more when I'm not working, obviously, that's nine to five. <laughs> and I'm, I'm a single mom, so I've got a six-year-old, and she takes up a lot of my energy in the evenings and the weekends. So it hasn't been easy like the last six years when I'm working. But when I'm not, it's great. So I end up being very productive during those times. The, the ironic life of an artist. <laughs> exactly. You either have money or you have time, but you can never have both. <laughs> you, can, you, you can only be rich in one, right? Yeah. <laughs> or not neither, but it, you either have one or the other. Uh, yep. Uh, um, it, do you, th- and this is a totally unfair question because uh, uh, you seem to work with a, a, a lot of medium or in a, with uh, different approaches, do you have a, a preferred uh, a preferred artistic expression, be it painting, drawing, uh, tattooing, photography, or or is it all kind of 
does do all the visual aspects and the various aesthetics and uh, approaches do they all kind of feed into just a, a broader uh like your broader artistic approach or understanding um i think what i end up doing more often is the the pen and ink watercolor type um drawings or paintings whatever you want to call them but um I find that when my idea is more con conceptual, I end up working more towards something other than drawing and painting. But um, I haven't had a chance to develop a lot of that. But with my painting and drawing, what I what I do is I I um, work on uh, this type of paper. It's called a mineral paper. Hmm. So it's like it's like stone dust and a, a resin that they mix together. So the the surface itself it's quite um, it's not. It's sort of like slick. It doesn't feel like paper, and it doesn't absorb the um, the materials that you put on it. So when you make like a ink blotch, it just sort of spreads out. It doesn't sink in the way that it would with uh, watercolor paper. So it gives me a bit more leeway to kind of move things around, and make it very fluid. Then I let that dry. Then when I look into it, I try to see uh, recognizable shapes or images that are in those blobs, and then I draw on top to bring out that that shape that I see. So that's very, very sort of organic and free-flowing. And then the concept kind of develops along with, you know, as I'm, as I'm drawing. Hmm. How did you... So it's very... Oh. oh, sorry? No, I was just going to... How did you uh, come across the that paper? That may sound like a too technical or absurd question, but <laughs> yeah, I can't even remember. You know, um, I think I was just going through at the art supply store, just kind of going through. I knew I wanted something that was didn't have a lot of grain because I wanted to do something very detailed, mm. and I was just kind of touching papers, and I I liked the um, the surface of that type of paper. So I just kind of started playing around with it. And it's a bonus that it's more environmentally friendly because you're not using trees. Hmm. And it biodegrades and, yeah, it's a terra skin. If you, if you look it up, you can kind of learn more about the properties of that type of material. Cool. I'll have to, I'll have to look that up because I've never even heard of that. <laughs> not that I'm a paper expert or would ever claim to be, but... <laughs> Yeah, it's really neat. Check it out. <laughs> so, have your have some of your recent uh, works? Uh, most of them have been on that uh, that canvas, I guess. Yeah, I'd say I've been working with that. Oh, geez, how long now? I wonder. It's been quite a while. I think before my daughter was born, so it must have been at least seven years. I think I've been working with that paper now. <laughs> but this process of sort of watercolor effect I've just been doing since she was born and I find that um like in my earlier work it was becoming too tight like I was thinking about it too much or um it was so it had to be so exact that it was it was becoming like it was too tight and I wasn't enjoying it and I remember when my daughter was a baby and I, I had no time but I wanted to draw like I had I wanted to do something, but I didn't have a lot of time or energy or whatever. So I just kind of was playing around with it, playing around with the, the watercolor in this paper. 
and it just happened completely out of the blue like that. So the very first ones that I did were only like postcard size. And then I just sort of, they started getting bigger and bigger <laughs> so that now they're, what are they? Maybe, I can't remember, the 16 by 21 or a bit bigger than that, I think now. So it's very um, sort of hypnotic or it's like a meditation where you're just sort of adding more and more and more details and you sort of lose track of time and, you know, it's very, I find it very relaxing. Hmm. So would, uh, would you say that your approach to, to a piece or to your art in, in general is kind of, uh, again, for lack of a better word, more organic rather than say planned or, um, do you have uh, any sort of quote-unquote inspirations when you are sitting down to do a piece or does it kind of just come when you have the time? Um, I feel like I'm coming back around now. Like <laughs> it's always trying to find that balance between kind of um, the concept versus that, that free flowing process. So um, the last couple of larger pieces that I've made have been, more concept based so it's trying to merge those two kind of um styles where i still want to have that loose and free um kind of organic look to it but also making sure that the message that i want to get across is there so i have something that's very kind of solid and representational as well so the piece that was at the, um, the exhibition in at the Winnipeg Art Gallery at Insurgence Resurgence. It was, I don't know if you've seen it before, but it, it looks like a mermaid with with things being poured into her mouth. Is that the methyl mercury piece? Exactly. So that one was concept first. Okay. So it, so it was trying to, to take that fluid uh, look and put it and combine it with this idea that I had. So that one, and then the, the latest one that I did was Nuliayuk um, in uh, Mourning, which is the Inuit sea goddess. And she's in the background, but we've got um, a large uh, minke whale in the center. But you can see through the, the whale that it's got plastic all inside of it. Mm. Plastic garbage and plastic garbage coming out of its mouth. So I had that, that was inspired by an image that I'd seen on the internet. And it's kind of funny because it was actually created by uh, an artist who was involved with Greenpeace, I think over <laughs> in Thailand or something like that. And it's interesting because Inuit have a contentious relationship, I guess, you could say, with, green, <laughs> with Greenpeace. That might be the diplomatic way <laughs> of <Yeah>. saying it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so when I found out, I didn't realize it at the time, but when I researched the image, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but it was, I mean, they're very, I'll give them that, that they're very good at uh, marketing and messaging and making very impactful images. So it was actually, um, the artist had made this whale that looked like an actual real whale on a beach, but it was made out of um, plastic bags that mm. were kind of 
twisted and tied together, and it had the garbage coming out of the whale's mouth. So I wanted to do sort of a, an Inuit version of that and thinking about how Nilayalik, um, how would she feel seeing what's happening to our marine environment and our, and especially our, our whales. That's a yeah. That's an that's an interesting uh, influence to take that art piece and then mer- merge it. Huh. Um, not to shift, but but to kind of go back to the methyl mercury piece because it's something. Uh, I I well I'll I'll just presume, but I won't put words in, in your mouth for sure. Uh, what uh, would you, if you want, can you talk a little bit about the what the piece was referring to in terms oh, of the, sure. like it's the Nalcor development, right? Is that, have I got that right? Yeah, it was, it, um, the idea came to me when all the protests were happening uh, against um, the, uh, the dam in Muskrat Falls. So the Harvard study says that um, how they're doing it now is going to um, create methylmercury, which is like a, a neurotoxin and and causes cancer and birth defects and all this kind of stuff. And it was around the same time. I mean, it's always there, this ever-present. Um, it's on our Facebook feed. It's on the news. It's missing and murdered women. And then I believe the, the trial for... Uh, people that murdered Loretta, Loretta Saunders was also going on in the news at the same time. So it's just that kind of this ugly, dark feeling of people being taken advantage of or um, being attacked, especially women or female figures or this the female energy, you know? Mm-hmm. So no Yayuk, the sea goddess, is always uh, someone that influences my work she's one of my favorite themes so having her as like the personification of uh inuit culture but also representing uh inuit and indigenous women having something forced upon us so that's where in the top we've got all of the um, sort of black mass that's sort of dripping and it has sort of like evil spirits and things floating around in it and then it's going into her mouth and forced, and then there's a hand that's going around her throat as this poison is being forced into her into her throat. So I, wanted, I knew it would be very, it's not an easy thing to look at, but it's not an, also not an easy thing to watch this project being forced upon uh, Labradorians as well. So I hope that that comes across, that the image gives you a sense of how how that feels i wanted it to be very a very visceral emotional reaction that people would have when they look at the image yeah i i it certainly conveyed that for me (laughs) and uh good (laughs) yeah it's uh i mean there's many adjectives you could attach attach to that one particularly but I, i think uh, to go back to kind of tie your style, I think um, uh, I think the style of it is 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 also like that that really puts forward the like the 
the emotional or visceral visceral reaction to in terms of not simply the like the illustrative representation of what's going on but like just when you look at the uh when you look at the the painting it's you can't you can't help but feel uh that there's so that something something's wrong <laughs> yeah um so yeah i did i didn't I, when when did you do that that was la that was a painting from last year yeah it must have been i think it might have been october hmm. it was in october that i made it and um i knew i had to make a piece for this winnipeg show so it just kind of worked out that way that the idea came to me at the same time as I needed it for the exhibition and it fit really well with the, the theme of the exhibition. So it just sort of like all came together. I'm very happy about that. <laughs> <clears throat> Would you, uh, it seemed to just be coming across all unfair questions. And I say they're unfair because it, it, it probably, it's probably obvious to, people uh but perhaps not to me uh would you consider your your work to be politically uh or politically let's say minded not rather than motivated um well you're asking whether sort of my the jobs that i've had have influenced my work and i think my other job at uh itk when you meet tepper me it's the sort of the national nonprofit. Um, advocacy group for Inuit. It's like the Inuit AFN. And yeah, I think, I think up until I, I worked there, I didn't think a whole lot about the what was going on in, in politics and how it was influence, influencing us directly. But after working there, it's definitely it definitely opened my eyes to how, you know, the federal government decisions filter down to a community level. So yeah, it definitely had a huge impact on on how I think and what I think is important, and um, using my art as a way to uh, hopefully introduce people to issues that Inuit have here in in Canada. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> it's tough. It's a tough. It's a tough question, and that and that's why I said it, it's perhaps unfair because you don't necessarily want to put someone in a corner and say you're a political artist versus you're just a I'm not even sure what a non-political artist would be to be honest uh, but I, it, was just, it was just more interesting uh, more interested to hear for again perhaps about uh, like the the influences that go into when you create a, a piece if if you kind of you know if there's a and a like a political event or a social event that kind of spurs or spurns influence um and mm -hmm. how that shapes your work so yeah it, it can go either way sometimes it's, i'm drawing and it's just sort of like a meditation and other days it it is something in particular that that i want to to say something about so it's sort of back and forth it depends on the day really <laughs> <laughs> but i think yeah it's always in my mind that I am an Inuit artist, and I want to shape how the rest of Canada perceives Inuit and Inuit art in general. I'm so happy that Heather Igliliorti put together the the exhibition uh, because um, 
it's going to open people's eyes to just how varied Inuit art can be. So it's not just, um, you know, prints and, you know, polar bear carving. There's <laughs> so much more going on that um, hopefully that exhibition has introduced everyone to. So it's always in the back of my mind that um, I want to tell everyone, hey, there's so much out there. I am Inuk, but that doesn't mean that I have to be drawing igloos and, and dog teams all the time, you know. Whatever comes out of these sort of abstract paintings that I that I make, it's me. It's shaped by uh, Labrador. It's also shaped by Ottawa. It's shaped by, you know, this globalized society that, that we live in. A lot of my work deals with um, identity as well, especially... Um, you know, a bit some of my older work, and some of it is political, but some of it is also reflective or, or introspective. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, and that, I mean that was one of the things that I, uh, I, the key thing I think for Heather Agluliorte, uh, as well was also. Uh, just even the basic fact of introducing new Nazi boot art as part of Inuit art, as opposed to the Nunavut centric focus that is at least dominates well, in Ontario, anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that was uh, I'm, was it quite interesting for me to learn. <laughs> it's been a learning experience in my working with on the project with Heather uh, to cut to kind of expand that understanding of what what constitutes and who 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 is doing Inuit art contemporarily or at the moment exactly yeah I'm happy like I remember um, taking a trip to Montreal and looking through some of the, the galleries that I knew had indigenous art or Inuit art and I'm like I'm trying to figure out like where I fit in and you know, what my price point could be. So I'm trying to find something that looked like mine. And there was nothing. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I have nothing to compare it to. And um, in one way, it's great because I have a very, like, an individual style. That, And on the other hand, it's not always recognizable as Inuit art, as, you know, the, most people think of it. But I think that's changing, especially with, um, the great work that they've been doing at the Inuit Art Foundation and the Inuit Art Quarterly as well. So I think it's an exciting time right now. We have much more um, artistic freedom. We can kind of play around with all different types of materials. And if we want to mix, you know, sort of Southern imagery with Inuit imagery, that's fine too, whatever whatever works. Have you, because uh, I think I think I read in an article that you, and you had m- have mentioned it to, about carving. Have you uh, done any carving recently, or is that kind of just a another skill that you have? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the the program at um, Sir Wilfred Grenfell College School of Fine Arts. That's um, the actual name of it, the Memorial University uh, Cornerbrook Campus. It's hmm. great because it got us to kind of do a little bit of everything. So I was able to to try sculpture and like work with power tools and stuff like that. 
But then when I came, it was actually John Terriac from, from Maine that taught me how to carve. That was, I think it might have been my first summer back after art school. And I'm too tentative. Like, I'm, not, I'm too scared <laughs> of carving. <laughs> I'm scared of it. I'm afraid I'm going to, like, you know, crack the whole thing in half kind of thing. Mm. That's my problem with, with working with stone. But I actually really liked uh, working with clay when I was in uh, art school. And I still play around with things, like, but I just don't, I don't sell it. Oh. I'm really excited. I want to try carving um, wood because we've got, people don't realize that Labrador is very different because we're actually like right on the, the tree line. So we have wood. I think I'd do better in wood because you can't really break it. You know? <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have no, I have no carving skills whatsoever. So, uh, <laughs> I'm in, I'm impressed by anyone who t- who even takes the first takes the first step and uh, att- attempts to attempts to work with in that medium. It was just <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I just I just had wondered if you had uh, had had any pieces uh, for sale or on display as well with carving, just because you seem to be such a, uh, a multi talented. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm too shy with my carving. Like, I had to show people when I was at the museum, but yeah, I was a yeah. I've got one in my bathroom that belongs to me, but that's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you come to my place, you might see it. That's ah. about it. <laughs> yeah, I have great respect for carvers. Like Billy Gautier, I think he's incredible. He's one of the greatest carvers in all of Canada, Inuit or non-Inuit. So. Yeah, if I could someday carve that, well, I'd be very happy, but I can't <laughs> see it ever happening. Well, An exercise in frustration is what carving would probably be for me right now. Ah, uh, <laughs> less meditative than drawing or painting then, perhaps. Exactly. <laughs> <clears throat> also, you also you need a, a different space, too, unless you really want to get your... Uh, basement or kitchen dusty exactly and ottawa gets cold too. yeah <laughs> i don't want to be carving it in my backyard and, what was it <laughs> minus 31 or something with the wind chill here yesterday oh wow okay yeah yeah <clears throat> yeah yeah that's not uh, a particularly fun way to to produce art <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sure there. I'm sure there's some people who do like to work outside in the cold, but uh... <laughs> everyone makes fun of me. You're like, oh, you should be used to this. You're from up north. I'm like, doesn't mean we have to like it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of that, because I and I haven't asked uh, asked you because as as I've mentioned. Uh, in the in the intro before we uh, got going, because um, the po- the podcast is uh, nominally about hunting and fishing, um, do you or do you have any experiences hunting or fishing or camping or the like? Um, I was lucky in a way because I was raised by my grandparents. My grandfather lived a very traditional life, and my grandmother was a teacher, so she got to have her summers off. So we would go to our summer place and we'd only go back 
you know, on the weekends for supplies. So for most of my life during the summer, we had like no running water, no electricity. It was like a one-room um, little cabin that we lived in for the, the whole time. So a lot of my memories of my childhood were just kind of sitting out on a rock and drawing and waiting for my grandfather to come back from the checking his salmon nets and like on the trip from our summer place to Rigolette to go get supplies, he'd often stop to like shoot ducks. <laughs> so it'd be like duck, but duck meaning like duck our heads so he could shoot. <laughs> so or he'd stop because he wanted to get some fish for breakfast the next day. So we'd be sitting in the boat while he was like jigging for, for rock cod or something, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was just a regular part of our everyday life during that time. And in the winters, he was a trapper. So every day he'd go check his traps and come back. I just did um, a little drawing. I've got some work that's at um, the Canadian Guild of Crafts in Montreal now. And one of the pieces, it's called, um, I think I just titled it Waiting. But it was inspired by waiting for my grandfather to come back from his traps or from hunting or fishing or whatever because the environment in Labrador is still still pretty it can be dangerous if you don't know what you're doing I was always slightly afraid whenever he was a bit late that maybe something had happened to him you know maybe he fell through the ice maybe you know he had an accident or or what what have you he actually did have an accident once my grandfather Hmm. so he's out checking his traps and he had this skidoo with the commentic gut on the back, and he was going down like in between two two bumps of snow. So when he was coming back up, the um, the front part of the the commentic, the sled, came and hit him in the back. Oh! And and it broke his rib. The Oof. rib went and punctured his lung. So he, he had to drive all the way back to town only being able to breathe out of one lung. So when he got back to town, he went to the clinic. He had to get airlifted, you know, to to Goose Bay in order to get get his lung repaired. So, yeah, it's it's always, the environment is always there. It's always present, and there's always a chance that something will happen. Yikes. (laughs) How long did, uh, did, uh, did he have any lingering effects from that injury uh it's hard to say because he was also um up until i think he was in his 50s he was a chain smoker so he had like bronchitis and emphysema and and things like that so having uh, an injury to his lung as well didn't didn't do him good at all Hmm. oh no but i can't imagine being that strong, you know, to, yeah. to have an injury like that and to drive home. <laughs> and he was still stubborn. Like, he wasn't sure if he needed to go to the clinic or not. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I remember once seeing him uh, pull out his own tooth. Oh. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, I mean, they didn't have the best health care back when he was a young man so his teeth were rotten and damaged and one was cracked so he just pulled the pieces out okay good god (laughs) you know whenever whenever life gets tough for me that i think to myself i come from very good stock you know (laughs) 
Yeah. That's that's a different approach. I don't like going to the dentist and it's nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh my god, they had to do everything back for themselves back then. You know? It's incredible the stories that they'll that they'll tell you about survival and looking after themselves. So it's good that I had that older generation to to tell me, you know, how things were before and make me proud of who I am and where I where I come from and I hope that I'm passing that on to my daughter as well. Do you um do you go to uh Rigolet or to Nunatuvut often or do you, I'll rephrase it, do you get a chance to go often? I was really lucky I, before my daughter came along she um I was able to get back at least once a year. My mom used to travel a lot for her work so she'd give me airplane points and stuff like that so I could go home. So usually I go home for Christmas or maybe once during the summer. But um, now that my art career is getting, I'm getting more recognized and been invited to, to this and that. So I ended up going back for the Labrador Creative Arts Festival a couple of years ago. And then this past year, yeah, I got to go to Winnipeg. But yeah, we'll see. I've been pretty lucky. I know a lot of people from Nunavut can't ever get to go back home at all. It's just too crazy expensive. But we're lucky in Labrador. It's not quite that bad. No. It, I mean, you can at least get to St. John's without being bankrupt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't no, I don't know. Is, yeah. a, what's a, is What's a flight from St. John's to Goose Bay or Nain or Rigolet like? Um... From Ottawa, we usually go to Halifax and Halifax to Goose Bay. Oh, okay. And it's like twelve or fourteen hundred dollars, I think, like for for a return for one person. But now I have to pay for my daughter as well because she's older than two. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it gets it gets kind of pricey, and then you gotta spend a few more hundred dollars to get just to Rigolet, which is a half hour flight away. <laughs> right. So, yeah, it can be tough. <laughs> so I haven't been back to Rigolet for, oh, God, what is it, three or four years now, I think. Mm. But most of my family is based, like, in Goose Bay and uh, Northwest River now. Okay. Do you, like, still, my... do you still have a, a, any family members with a cabin, or? Well, my mom and dad, they're... They're at their cabin all the time, like every single weekend, every chance they get. But it's in like the um, Mulligan and Northwest Island um, area. Hmm. So, but they go back to Riglet every summer to do um, subsistence salmon fishing. Hmm. But I just haven't been able to go back just for financial reasons last few years. <laughs> so, so, would yeah. you? Uh, sorry. Facebook is Facebook is wonderful. I get to see what everyone's doing, you know, and keep in touch that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's so, good. Amazing, though, really, what social media can do now. I watched the whole uh, when the um, the Labrador land protectors um, occupied the um, the, the Nelcor um, at Muskrat Falls last year. We got to watch it all live thanks to to Justin Brake with the independent because he was uh, streaming it through Facebook. Right. Yeah, so it was 
it was not quite like being there, but pretty close. I was like glued to my computer pretty much for those few days that they were there. And that was what really influenced the the piece, the methyl mercury piece. Hmm. Well, that's a, at least there's some good things that Facebook are for then. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> perhaps perhaps the, the purpose <laughs> to stay in contact when you can't be physically present. Exactly. Um, I, I was going to, I was going to ask, uh, cause you mentioned salmon fishing is salmon. One of, uh, your preferred food choices. Oh, oh, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> still here. yeah we, we eat salmon at least once a week. It's, um, <laughs> they've done studies now that say that when a child is in its mother's womb, whatever you're eating will influence what they like to eat. And my daughter is so, so picky, but she was born her birthdays in august so when i went back home i went back to labrador to to have her like she was born in labrador and i was staying with my parents at the time and i was eating so much salmon and now she <laughs> loves salmon like she she can eat it every single day so <laughs> there's there's proof right there yeah <laughs> well that's good too that she likes it at least you don't have to <laughs> Have a have a confrontation about that food. <laughs> oh no! And we're lucky that we've got the Ottawa Inuit Children's Center out here. It's like a daycare for Inuit kids. So she actually got to go to that program for two years, and um, once a week they have like uh, Inuit food. So she was eating like raw fish and uh, muktuk, like the whale blubber and frozen caribou and all this kind of stuff when she was like two and three years old so it's pretty neat like she gets really excited about at least um uh, either cooked or frozen salmon or char she loves it it is it is delicious that that is (laughs) that is undeniable (laughs) Mm -hmm. couldn't get her to eat caribou stew last weekend though so not exposed to it enough anymore (laughs) more for me <laughs> yeah, yes <laughs> um i think probably don't want to take up too much more of your friday so uh maybe i'll just we can wrap it up on this first of all thank you very much for doing this it was a i i think it was a wonderful conversation um do you what are your i'll just ask again do you have any plans for future pieces of work or uh, working on anything currently that uh, we or people should keep their eye out for? Um, I've got a project come like a project coming up, but I'm not sure how much I can talk about it. So <laughs> I'll, leave it out. I'll leave it out for now, but um, no, I think uh, still waiting for inspiration when it comes to more conceptual art but I'm always kind of doodling and you know working on on keeping my my hand-eye coordination there so we'll see what comes out you never know <laughs> <laughs> that's the fun of it and you never know what you're what you're going to get <laughs> interesting and on the and on the off chance that uh anyone listening uh would uh, hopefully and not a, I shouldn't say on the off chance on the 
hopefully positive chance that anyone listening wants to check out your art where would the best place to, uh, to go um i have my website www.campbellart.ca and i have an etsy account but i i keep forgetting to to get it back up i was doing um <laughs> g clay prints for for a while but yeah i gotta get that up and running again yeah <laughs> but there's a there is a link still on my on my website so we'll we'll see what if i can get that going today yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The other the other aspects of uh, being an artist, you also have to be a, an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, people don't realize how much administrative stuff you have to do as well. Yeah. So, not that much fun, but it has to be done. <laughs> <laughs> Is that? Uh, I guess I'll. I said I said only one more question, but that opened it up. So I apologize. Um, is that how you typically, if people were interested in purchasing your art, is it typically? Do you typically try to go direct to uh to a to a purchaser or do you sell to galleries oh. and stuff or just it just whatever happens happens type um yeah i used to sell uh just directly but very recently i've been um uh, selling works at the canadian guild of crafts in montreal hmm. so i think i still have a couple of pieces up there um, including, uh, I think Waiting has been sold, but there are two other pieces. I think Newly Aliuk Swimming, which was just featured in the Newfoundland Quarterly uh, magazine. And um, another piece, I forget which one it was. Oh, uh, Lucy's Dream was there as well. So we'll see how that goes if I'm going to end up shipping some more stuff over there. But yes, I've got some pieces in Montreal as well. So either just um, contact me for through the website or at the the guild in Montreal. Wonderful. Well, hopefully, hopefully, someone who's listening does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or been... and or and or just more generally, because uh, uh, you know, I'd 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 very much like you to ha both have time and money. <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> Thank you. 